What is happening, guys? Welcome to the Christian Hansen Show. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. As always, I hope everyone's doing great. I hope everyone enjoyed my conversation that I had with Dr. Bill Miller a few weeks back. Um, I was kind of nervous about that one, and I talked about that in my outro in that episode um, because I've never really done a comedian. Um, You know, I'm usually doing a blues guitarist, uh, someone in the blues music industry, I'm talking to an athlete. So um, I've learned that, you know, my favorite comedian is Mark Maron. I've learned um, that comedians have, it's like they're, it's a completely different personality. Um, you have to be on your toes when you're talking to a comedian because you never know when they're going to throw in, you know, a little one-liner. And usually you're going to be caught off guard. You're not even going to recognize it. And then right after they say it and then you just you know you keep talking they're like they start to laugh and then they're like what's so funny what did i fucking do you know but that's the thing you've always got to be on your toes with your uh, when you're talking to a comedian and dr bill did it to me um that's the one thing that (laughs) i've always been bad with is picking up on on those little things but like if you're if you're like a mark maron you know like like you could pick up on that and you, you know what's happening. And that's the thing that I'm adjusting to as I talk to comedians. Um, and today I talked to uh, Calvin Evans. You're going to listen to that interview as well. And I'm really excited about that. But uh, um, like I said, hope everyone's doing great. Life has been weird. I mean, what started as two weeks back in March has turned into five and a half fucking months. Okay. I mean, five and a half months of completely nothing almost. I mean, I got so much at risk. I have a father who's incredibly sick, um, and COVID certainly would be a nail in the coffin. It sounds horrible, but it's the truth. And so I've been super, super paranoid about um, protecting him because he's like, he's my best fucking friend, okay? And I would be horrified if something happened due to, you know, this ridiculous virus. So um, it's been scary. I, I really haven't been doing much. I did I did start to get back into the golf though back in May. Um because I was like, hey, I cannot I cannot do this sitting inside thing. I I just can't. I mean, um I didn't do much anyway, but um I did have a part-time job at uh, the Arcata Theater in St. Charles and that is not being able to shoot a concert, uh, a live stand-up comedy event or, you know, just having that entertainment part-time job has killed me literally um it just sucks i mean that was that was my uh escape from reality i'd get off my freaking sales job that i work eight to five you know drive 15 minutes down the street and boom spend six seven hours there and not even feel like i'm doing work I mean, that's a job that I can get a text at 1130 at night saying, hey, we need someone. I'm there before, you know, before you know it. And to not have that part of my life for five and a half months is, it's really depressing. And I'll admit, I'm depressed. Um, not like, you know, bad. Um, but it just sucks because you're down. You don't have that, that other part of your life anymore for and it's just really it sucks i mean life could be much worse i mean i'm complaining about not shooting a a concert or a comedy event or comedy special uh for the fact of the matter we've we had a couple comedy specials filmed at the theater over the past year as well um my life could be much worse but that that meant so much to me i had so much fun with it so um, i'm hoping we can get back to normal soon i don't know what the fuck it's going to look like but uh, I just, I need, I need to get back into that routine, which is partially why I started the podcast, so I can, you know, interact with people who, you know, bring me joy uh, by way of what they do, whether it be on my blues podcast, the Monday Morning Blues, or here, the Christian Hansen Show, where I could talk to a Dr. Bill, or even today's guest, Calvin Evans, or, uh, you know, the people from the Miami Marlins organization like Joseph Gormley or actors who've, you know, worked with Academy Award winning, uh, you know, actors like Andres Salgado, who was in the front runner, you know, stuff like that, giving, being able to connect 
with the people in the entertainment field, um, you know, via Zoom or Skype has just been uber important to me. And it's working slightly. It's not the same, but it's helping. Um, and I, I think it's more therapeutic than anything, too. Um, now, I know many of you just probably skip right to the start of the interview, and that's okay. I get it. I don't know why the hell you want to listen to me at all, to be, <laughs> to be quite frank with you. Um, but uh, this is a therapeutic way of exercising, you know, my thinking and my thoughts. So I'm doing it. Um, anyways, today's guest, like I said, is Chicago native Calvin Evans. Uh, his comedy career began during actually his time at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana while obtaining his degree in sports management. Um, he, he fell in love with stand-up comedy and eventually would put his business aspirations on hold. And between putting sports management on hold and comedy, there's so much fucking shit that happened in between. I'm not going to explain it. You're going to hear everything laid out perfectly in this interview. But uh, yeah, he fell in love with comedy. And yeah, he ended up taking his talents back to Chicago and was quickly named Chicago's uh, next big comic. Uh, Kelvin also received a Puma scholarship to attend the famed Second City Training Center. Now, if anybody knows anything about comedy in the city of Chicago, the first thing that usually comes to your mind is Second City or Zanies. So to be mentioned in that same category is just remarkable in itself. So upon completing their improv conservatory program, Kelvin was eventually then awarded, which is fucking insane, the Bob Curry Fellowship which is remarkable. And with stand-up as his focus, he also traveled uh, the country performing at colleges and clubs. And in 2017, he was recognized as a, a new face at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. Uh, in 2018, he was one of the eight finalists also in the nationwide NBC stand-up competition as well, which featured judges uh, Keenan Thompson, Jeff Foxworthy, and the ever-so-fabulous Chrissy Teigen. Damn. His television credits also include uh, Fox Series shows, uh, NBC Chicago PD, Sherman's Showcase on IFC, and Shameless on Showtime. He also performed stand-up on Kevin Hart's Comedy Central series, Heart of the City, in 2016. And if, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's online. Um, just search uh, Kevin Hart's Heart of the City, Calvin Evans, boom, you'll find it right up there. Um, not to veer off or anything, but uh, if you've never seen any of the Heart of the City episodes, you've got to check them out. I mean, for someone, being a filmmaker myself, um, makes films, I'm in the process of, you know, I'm in production right now for two documentaries. I'm starting a third soon. It's just nuts. But uh, anyways, for anybody who's listening or anybody who knows what it's like being in the entertainment industry, you know that everything pretty much is an on-script society. There's not too many opportunities where it's straight off script. And that's what Kevin Hart brought with Heart of the City. It is Kevin Hart at a round table with comedians and people from all different walks of life just shooting the shit. There is no script. There is no prompter. It is just real life interaction and that's what i love um you know yeah i mean it's entertainment you know there's scripts but if you can ever have a moment like that in the entertainment industry you eat that up and you provide and you supply anything you can because those opportunities are the best and his episode is one of my favorites so be sure to check it out just search kevin hart's comedy central series heart of the city kelvin evans boom you'll you'll see the episode from 2016 um yeah i mean he, he's remarkable so without further ado my interview with the chicago native kelvin evans enjoy thanks guys First and foremost, Calvin, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk to you today. I thoroughly appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem at all, man. Appreciate you wanting to talk to me. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, re I found out about you actually uh, by way of just the Zany's website. Um, I've, I've never really been super, super into 
comedy, but I went to Zany's a few times last year, and now I've been hooked. So um, every now and then I'll check the website to see what's happening in my area, and I'm pissed. I missed you. I think we were just here, what, the 28th? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always given an eye on that stuff now, and I'm trying to branch out, uh, attend some of these events, and uh, you know get to talk to people like yourself. So um, first, obviously, the pandemic has changed your way of life for someone who gets on stage multiple nights a week, not to mention uh, the acting gigs that you do as well. From March to May, everything I'm assuming just stopped completely for you. What were those months like? Uh, it was it was tough. Um, I mean, to to have to go from like I had like some pretty cool stuff like in the works and like stuff coming up and doing that during that time period, and it just kind it just came to a halt. And and, and also the with the the pandemic happening, you didn't know how long it was gonna last. It, it could have right. been a few weeks, it could, you know, but it was just like, I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like just being a stand up comedian, it was like, OK, I'm not performing, I'm not performing. And people quickly went to to the Zoom shows and, and other like streaming uh, or, or um, I don't know. What, what do you call Zoom? Uh, uh, Zoom, like the uh, what you call? just web meetings, you know, Cisco WebEx, yeah. uh, Instagram yeah. Live, stuff like that. Right. So so that that, that was going on for maybe like like two months and I had to do like a couple of them, but I just wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. And I was kind of right. like against performing online. Then it got to a point where my girlfriend, she was just like, you know, you're not doing anything. You know, I was, <laughs> I'm sitting around playing video games and it's like, you know, you know, people are adjusting and, and making moves, but I just wasn't motivated to really, to really, um, to really do like hop on board. And then I was just like, fuck it. And I, right. and I, I I did three um, 30 minute um, shows. Like I set up a little, set up my cameras in the garage and I went live th- uh, three wow. times, uh, half hours. And I was just like, you know what? I got all these thoughts. I want to talk about stuff. And it was a way for me to like workshop material and, and just kind of get my ideas out without an audience. And, and I feel like that put, that put the, the pressure of, all right, this just has to be funny. Mm-hmm. You, you, don't have, you don't have the luxury of practice on stage. So it's like, man, just get up. Right. It'd be funny. And I had so much I had so much fun doing it and people tuned in. And it was just like, you know what? I, I can I can do it. So after that, I, I felt more prepared um uh doing like the, the online shows. And mm-hmm. I got a call for a half hour wow. uh, for a cable network out the blue. And it was like, man, like this was this was it was unexpected, but like the, the timing of it was just like you you ready for this. You've been you you practiced You're born for this shit, right? Yeah. That's so crazy. I, I had I put myself in, in a, well, I didn't put myself, I was motivated to put myself in a position to be ready. Mm-hmm. And, and I got ready and, I, and that call came and I ended up doing the stuff that I, some, a majority of the stuff that I created in those half hours online, I ended up doing it on, that, on the show. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Now, I mean, as, as a comedian, especially as someone in that position, that's, that had to be hard as fuck though, because you, you're feeding, you, you feed off that energy as a comedian. Um, I mean, and every every comedian that I've, seeing you know their specials they they all say they go nothing's worse than speaking to to a bunch of crickets w- was that the hard part for you as far as the motivation aspect of it i think the motivation was the hard part i think it was also like the, the mindset going into it so she like you should do something you should do something i didn't like having to because i you know you watch i don't know if you, you may have seen it but like when people are performing on like on like IG and stuff, and you uh-huh. got a comment crawling, rolling up, and they like kind of you stopping and they reading the comments. I'm right, like, right. I don't. So I turned the cameras around and I said, I don't care what people are saying. I don't care how many people logged on. And I treated it like a lot of like on my on my Instagram page, I'll comment on stuff. Like I, I get my commentary stuff and I'll be funny about it. I'm like, I can do that without an audience. Right. I just post it knowing that it's funny. So it's just like I got to take the approach of what I'm saying is funny. I know it's funny. I got to make this work. Mm-hmm. So I just you know just one at it like you know what i don't what i'm saying is funny and i don't need y'all to laugh just enjoy me talk Mm -hmm. that's how i looked at it yeah no absolutely um and not to switch completely but um not only from march to may was the whole entire you know the country was just it was was shut down it still is for most of the part but um Mm -hmm. what happened towards the end of may up uh may 25th to be exact um really uh changed my viewing on so many issue, issues in this country, um, and I'm referencing the, the incident that happened to, to Mr. George Floyd up in Minneapolis. Um, mm-hmm. When that happened, as, 
as a, a white man in America, I felt so upset because of the fact that I felt that um, going through public school, we were told this narrative and that we were told something that we, you know, we were told we, we had to believe and we had to um, know as right. And so much shit came out. And I was just like, I, I didn't know w what to think because all the stuff that was coming out, I, I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't. I, so I felt like there was all this bullshit that was fed to me through the public school system and everything like this. And I just got so angry. Um, it was it was absolutely horrible incident that happened up there. Uh, it, and it changed it changed the country. Uh, it, it changed. It, it brought recognition to an issue that isn't new. It's been around forever. But the thing is, now we have social media. We have people with videos, uh, you know, who could take videos on their phones, shit like that. We saw it happen. That's, that's the difference between this horrible incident and the thousands and thousands and thousands that happened before it years and years ago. As a black man in America, Calvin, what, what, did you what, what do you have to say about the, the issues within our country and what have you seen growing up? And do you think there is hope? For our country as we stand divided here today um kind of deep i didn't fucking mean to do no, this no, but <laughs> no, you're fine. no this is this is stuff I, I i care to talk about i'm just trying to f figure out um what where, where i want to start um just being being black in america my my entire life and, and this is a this is something that i realized uh just last week and that i i didn't talk about but i realized now like i really want to turn this into like you know my commentary and right. comedy on stage, but just to make a comment, I'm just like, black people, we, in this country, black people, we make light of our tragedy so much. We talk about, oh, you know, you watch, if you watch, I grew up watching Deaf Comedy Jam, everybody's just talking about tragedy. Right. Oh, you know, father's not being there. Or I grew up poor, we had to eat, you know, bullshit made up food. We put, mm. you know, syrup on a sandwich or, or I had roaches and we, or, you know, it's just like you, you make light of it and you laugh at it and we get through it. And, and, and it was funny at the, it's, it's funny, none the least, but then I sit back and I look, I was like, oh, that's all, that's all tragedy. Like mm. that's all things that, that, that we've gotten through and has, that we normalize and, and accept it as commonplace and just being black in America. And, and when, the, when the George Floyd incident happened, uh, I, I hate, I hate that. I mean, it's, it's been happening. I had a cousin killed by the police. Oh man, and, what the fuck? And literally, and literally, it was it was like one of these situations where you see the police, like a police put a choke over my cousin, mm. killed him, and he had asthma. He had an asthma attack, and they they propped him up and made it look like he was still alive. Put him in an ambulance, and they, you know, oh my complications of uh, asthma, you know, and, and that's like you know, it was witnesses, but back then it just wasn't cell phones like right. that. So 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 like like you know like as we know it, it's been happening and, and now that the the cameras is almost it's almost now insulting because the cameras do exist and the problem still persists like regardless of you know what we're saying it's like oh now we know that it's happening but just because we have the awareness that's not it hasn't changed anything those police officers Breonna Taylor and these officers that that kill people still they still get to walk free like there's still no there's still no 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 justice right. that has been you know made on their behalf and and i think by people being like by, by, like the pandemic was the perfect opportunity for people to sit back and see one of these incidents carry out certainly and you said oh, and, and people sit back and you say oh man it wasn't because I, I feel like in the past over let's say over the last five years i, I talked about it so much i had a show sunny with a chance funny and it, and it almost became re so repetitive while i was talking in like 2015 Cops was just shooting people back. It was mm -hmm. like everyone was a cop shooting somebody. And then now it happens. And it's like, okay, there's no, there's no more distractions. There's no, oh, we got to go back to work. We got to get back to regular life. It's like, oh no, everybody, there's you have to pay attention to this because there's no more, there's no more distractions. Right. You turn if you turn on the TV on social media, you have to know this is going on. Yeah. People marched and and you know the the, the riot, then that, that turned into riots. That's fucking and, and crazy. really, really what it felt like was, you know what? the powers that be whether it be the government whether it be i, I don't i can't even name who 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 the powers that be are but it felt like they would rather maintain their power and let the let the country burn than do what's right and, and, and just arrest mm. some cops that did something wrong right and it was just like okay 
we saw we saw you know we saw a lot of people wake up and, and, and a lot of people stand in solidarity and say oh this isn't right this isn't right and you know and, and people and those those marches were very diverse and i think you know that's great but at the end of the day no no real change was made Mm-mm. and then and then uh, then you know a few weeks later somebody else gets shot then a few weeks later somebody else gets shot and then we find out about Brianna Taylor and, and uh, Elijah McClain in Colorado. Right. So we're finding out about stuff that happened a long time ago that's now coming to light. And it's right. like nothing is still being done about it. So to answer your question, do I think it's hope? I honestly don't. I, 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 let, I, I've, I have no hope in, in, in a country changing, changing in favor of a people they didn't care about to begin with. Mm. Like I feel like we have come a long way from you know from slavery and oh, all yeah, that. Fuck yeah, for but sure. I feel I do feel like there's still just the like the institutionalized like okay no matter how far we come some lines that just will not be crossed mm. and I and I feel like you know it's about it's about power and control and and regardless of how much people march and and, and protest it's like we we have to maintain this power so we're not we're not going to relinquish it because you mad and you walking through the streets. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I truly believe that once I saw the across the country riots and, and cities just burning, and they just like, no, you know, we we not we not gonna give you what you want, mm. and, and and that went on for like a week, and then it was just like, all right, we arrested them, and now and now what? I haven't heard anything about those cops being, you no. know, if I if I run a red light in Chicago, they take a picture of my car. Oh, dude, you're getting big ticket. You see what I'm saying? They send, yeah. they send me that. They send me that ticket in the mail. They say, "Hey, that was you. You caught you on camera. Pay the ticket." Nah, fuck that. But, but when we see a cop commit murder on camera, it's all we have to do an investigation. Yeah, right. Oh, it's it's you know we we we're, we're investigating. It's like nah, it's 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 literally the same situation minus murder, but a crime was committed, a law was broken. You have you have the footage. You have the the image that indicts me as as guilty. There's no conversation, right? So why why does it? And that's just why it's just like I, I I'm I'm to the point where it's insulting to sit back and and, and be on Instagram and I see people comparing like comparing, see black people do this if his person was oh, white. Dude, it's like, I fucking hate it. It's ridiculous. Like, I have to sit here and, and justify, you know, not me, but people have to justify why things are wrong and how things are not right. It's just like it's insulting. Anybody with eyes that understands right and wrong, it shouldn't even be a question. Mm-hmm. But but we have to sit down and have conversations and we have to have to explain why and how and have people have rebuttals for, for wrongdoing, you know, mm-hmm. for, for someone being killed. And they had to have to have conversations about that. They have to ask the conversations about black people killing black people. Well, why isn't this a problem? It's just like, what, what are we talking about? Right. What are we really talking about? We're talking about people, people kill people. It's yeah. not right. People kill people every single day, mm-hmm. but, Police officers shouldn't kill people. That's fucking right, yeah. Especially right, so in the way it's happening. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no. It's just you're seeing it happen, and you're, there's no, there's no logical reason as to why what you just witnessed happened. It's just yeah. it, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And the the crazy thing is, I I talked to actually uh, a friend of mine in the blues community in Chicago, Toronto Cannon. Um, I I know you're from the Chicago, um, and. He, he said the same thing. He goes like this. He goes, what's happening on, on the south side in the city? He goes, it's a, it's a little bit different. It's a territorial thing. People are, you know, they're doing what they're doing to provide their families and stuff like that. He goes, yeah, that's an issue that's got to be fixed. Don't get me wrong. And, but he goes, what you see on camera when it's white and black, even if it's a white on white, and it's the same thing, the shit's fucking wrong. But mm-hmm. if you reverse it, it does seem, I mean, you saw up in uh, freaking Kenosha, I mean, that the, the the Kyle guy, that the, the kid from Illinois who went up there, if he, walking down the streets with an AR-15, you know, and I know you know, Calvin, if it was an African American man in America, he would not, he would not be walking free. Not at all. I mean, even even w- without committing a crime, it, it still would have been like, hey, you know, you got a gun. They, I feel right. like you just would have been detained at the at the very the first sight of him with a gun. And that's what's wrong. And that's that that sums up the entire problem within this country right then and there it's just horrible but like you said you know something like this happens and then it goes away then it you know happens goes away there's never really a solution to this Uh, i mean even with sandy hook with the the mass shootings at schools 
You're like, mm-hmm. oh, good. That can go away. We could stop talking about that. And then another one happens. Oh, shit, here we go. But no real change ever is made. It's just absolutely frustrating. And I could talk about it f- for forever. Um, something that I found interesting was what uh, Camille Bell said in an interview uh, with Mark Marin on his WTF pod. And it really put this in perspective for me. He said, um, to quote, I don't think white people realize how many white people are out there. Like, I don't think white people look around like, wow, there are a lot of white people out there. In that sense, I think white people take it for granted how safe that feels. And I was like, wow, it's fucking genius. Because when I thought about that, I'm like, it's true. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have, I don't go outside and, you know, it's different now. You know, I, I feel there is that privilege of safe safety and security and for you do you, do you ever fear fear that for yourself or your family um i mean it's it's something i try not to think about um when it is it is scary at times because uh i was i was biking a lot uh during the time mm-hmm. so i would like go out and ride 20 miles and i feel like when with, with, with everything that was going on in the country and you got people that's just like you know the all lives matter people and, right. and, and the people that was just like like just outwardly like racist. And I think at, at one point it was like, they were finding bodies like hanging on the bridges. It was time to like, be out. Yeah, it'd be times I'd be out biking. I'm like, man, somebody like right now, somebody could just, somebody could just kill me. Yeah. And they could, they could find my body like, you know, day, you know days later and nobody would be, you know, it would, it, it would just be like, oh, a body was found, you know? Right. So I, I feel, It's just it it is like if I if I really said think about it, I probably wouldn't want to go outside. Dude, it's fucked up. But it's it's just it's 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 weird. It's 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 not weird. To understand like just being from Chicago, how how segregated Chicago is. Mm-hmm. I, I I I grew up on the north side, spent a lot of time, I grew up somewhat on, on the west side of Chicago, lived on the south side out of college and, and then back on the north side. So I understand. I understand like the the, the mindset of, of like different areas and i mm-hmm. feel like a lot of times what people i'm kind of, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place no but you're good man i work with kids for a long time and, and i and they, they have this thing called restorative justice where mm-hmm. you know a lot of times kids that you know they come from impoverished areas or you know broken homes they get in trouble and restorative justice is to be like you know we just can't keep putting these kids in and out of the system we have to figure out what's going on with them have an understanding of what's going on with them so that they don't end up back in the system because right. it's like a revolving door. Let's figure out, let's get them counseling, let's get them help, let's get them, you know, the things that they need so they don't they don't end up back in mm-hmm. jail or, or, or detention centers and stuff like that. Completely understandable, makes sense. So to understand um, the history of black people in America and, and the systems put in place to keep us down and, and how our communities, how, how our communities in, in the crack epidemic really affected our communities and how there are no resources that people end up doing what they have to do to survive. So when you see people running in stores and looting and stuff, it is like, come on, don't do that. Right. But it's just like these people, I, you know, I lived in these areas where it's like, there is nothing. Mm-hmm. When I, when I waking up in the morning you're seeing vacant lots, you're seeing people on drugs, you're seeing all the, all this stuff that nobody should see on, on a regular basis and it becomes normal to you. Mm-hmm. So crime, crime almost becomes a necessity. So to see somebody, get stopped by the cops or somebody not want to be arrested or somebody have a different understanding of what the police is. It, it, it changes how you look at, oh, someone being shot right. versus, oh, if he would have just did this or if they would have just did this, it's just like, no, I don't have a good relationship with the police because I, I've been in situations where, where police have, have threatened, have threatened to shoot me and I mean, I'm, I'm doing nothing. Fuck, man. And, it's, and it's just like, if you if you have that if you have a good relationship with the police it's oh they're just doing their job but if you don't then it's just like oh I know these situations that people are, are faced with and how they are treated you know less than a than a human being or or, or a citizen or, or or a taxpayer and it's just like why how could you possibly be on their side mm-hmm. when you and you're and you're watching video of them you know commit crimes yeah no it's fucked up and, and before I move on to the to the next thing I want I wanted to talk about the the sad thing is this the so one thing that um, I take away from a lot of this stuff is hearing this young, uh, this, this interview with this young kid, no, no older than probably seven or eight, and he was talking to a reporter, and it was a young African-American uh, kid. He, was, he told the reporter, he goes, I'm more worried, I'm not worried about my mom and dad yelling at me 
if I show up late, I am more worried and my heart's pounding running home at night knowing that I might not make it home because of my skin color. I mean, that's just the most fucked up thing to think about. And it's the truth. Um, like I said, not to jump ship from a, a deep fucking thought-provoking and emotionally uh, draining topic like racial injustice, but I have to ask, Chicago native, where and what part of the city did you grow up? You said Northside, right? Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Logan Square. Logan Square, perfect. A big family? Uh, yeah, it's 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 a pretty big. I got a yeah, it's it's I got I got a, a, a like my my home family. Like I got I got a stepmother and a stepfather. You okay. know. So it's like I grew up in a house with my mother. She has four kids. My father has well, four kids, including myself. My father oh, wow. has four kids, including myself. So um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty big family. But it was like it was almost like fact like fractions of like different families. So like my mother's side of the family, my stepfather's side of the family, my, my stepmother's side of the, her family, my father's family. So it's like yeah, I have a I have a big family. Oh damn! Was there any involvement in theater and sports for you in, in high school at that time? Like what were what were you like before? before you figured out what the fuck you wanted to do? Were you very kind of knowing or kind of have some sort of understanding as to what you wanted to pursue when you were younger? Oh, oh I was going to the NBA. Like like most kids, most kids, they grew up in the 90s watching Michael Jordan. I was like, oh, right. I'm going to the NBA. Uh, I played basketball in high school uh, four years. I was the captain. Oh, shit. Um, I didn't get recruited. Um, went to the University of Illinois. I walked on uh, my junior year. Got cut my junior year. Are you of I? Yeah. No fucking way, dude. Uh, that that kind of led me into the the next thing about that. I, you know, I knew you went to U of I. Um, I didn't know that part though, because uh, I used to cover the team from 2014 to 2017. I covered the team um, for an online sports journal, and it was oh. I, I caught on right when Ryan Schmidt, the student assistant, got called up after the whole like the whole fucking team got either suspended or hurt. Um, mm-hmm. that was, I think, Nana Agu's senior year. Um, but I did not know that. So you, you walked on and, uh, w- was that your, or you, you attempted to walk on, was that your, was that your sliver of hope? Did you finally think like, fuck, maybe this dream happens? No, absolutely, man. Like I didn't have a doubt. Like I, I tried out my freshman year, tried out my sophomore year. And then my junior year, like I took the summer and really prepared myself, you know, for the trial. I kind of knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And those, those tries, it's literally like an open tryout. Right. They have some guys. They have some guys that they they already know that that they're aware of. But then I, I think I walked into the trial like a just unknown. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a fucking amazing I had an amazing trial, and I remember sitting in class and getting a phone getting some random phone call and then walking out of class and it was the the assistant coach. I don't know, I don't, if you remember uh, uh, Sergio McLean. Oh man, what what? I it's been so long since I've uh, I've detached well, from a, the program. He was a he was an assistant coach. He I think he passed away um uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but he I remember just getting a phone call from him like, hey, this is uh, Coach McClain. Uh, man, we 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 want you you know we want you to to walk onto the team. And he was like, you know, coming. I, I just remember like walking down campus, fucking like yelling like, dude, that's like, insane fuck. though. Like, like that's like Rudy, dude. dude. <laughs> right. And um and I remember like going and handing me this fucking phone book of paperwork I had to fill out. Oh, dude. And, and I fucking like it took me like like three days to fill it out. Like I just want to fucking play, <laughs> right? And then, and I, I remember getting it in practice, and I think I was intimidated. I was intimidated in practice because at the time we got D Brown. Um, D Brown had came back after his um after he, he was supposed to go to the NBA, but he ended up coming back because he broke his foot. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember going to practice and just being intimidated by all these you know these like these like D one athletes. Like I was I was no pushover. Like I was. Pretty, I was a solid, definitely a solid basketball player. But just, I looked at it like, you know what? Let me just play the background. Let these guys, you know, get their reps in. They gonna actually be playing. I'm just, you know, I'm just here and just trying to work my way in. And I think I that mindset, they they kind of felt like, oh, I wasn't doing enough, and I ended up getting cut like shortly thereafter, walking on. So it was like it was like grand opening, grand closing. And I think that was probably like the, that was probably like one of the hardest times in my life because. To be so close to achieving a like a, a, a childhood like dream, like right. oh man, and, and, and it's like it wasn't like I, I I got recruited to like a D three college and then tried to make it to a D one. It's like didn't get recruited, walked onto a D one team that that, that the, the the previous year they had went to the, the national championship. Right with Darren Williams. Just, yeah, Darren Williams, um, D Brown, Luther Head, 
DJ uh, James August, what is it? Augustine. Yeah, James Augustine. Um, so it was like, man, it was like the excitement of that. And I just remember like for like that that short period of time, like my friends were like, man, it's unreal. Like, like people, it was like unbelievable. It was mm-hmm. like you, you basketball team, because like in the in the in the wreck, like people knew that I could I could play, mm-hmm. but you know, to, to 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 walk on and then getting cut, that was like just crushing. I kind of gave up on school. I ended up getting kicked out. Um oh, the, shit. The following, the following year, I got kicked out of school because of my grade. Oh man, it that just, sucks. It was, it was miserable turning on the TV and just watching watching games, feeling like I, I should be there. Mm-hmm. Dude, that that fucking that's fucking horrible. Um, that kind of leads me into you know the the what the hell happened thing. So with sports management, you were at comedy. Now, when the hell did that come into the picture, the comedy portion? I mean, obviously, sitting down and watching U of I sports the past. Uh, nine ten years uh gives you enough content in itself um <laughs> but uh how did the comedy thing kind of come into the picture um so it was the so that was my junior year so junior year was um uh, the the spring of 2006 yeah spring of 2006 so at that point i'm like the the writing on the wall i, I gave up like i'm going to class but i'm just in class oh, like dude, i'm I not know that really, feeling I'm just, I'm just there. And it's just like, I'm, I'm probably not going to be here. And, and I remember a, a guy by the name of Calvin King, good friend of mine. He came up to me and he was like, man, I'm putting on a show, uh, a variety show. And I, you funny. I want you to do some stand up in it. Just give me like three or five minutes. And I'm like, yeah, he, he, he convinced me enough to say, yeah. But in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to flake on, you know, the week <laughs> of, I'm just going to like the week of, I'm like, I can't do it. And I just remember, you know, a week a week passed a week or two passed and i saw him again he was like yeah i still got you down for the show like he caught me off guard oh yeah, yeah i'll be there and i remember um like damn now i'm locked in i said i'll be there so i did the um i went up did the variety show and i just remember like being on stage and feeling like oh this is this it, it came so natural mm-hmm. like it wasn't even like a thought like i remember just i grew up i grew up a fan of comedy i watched a lot of comedy growing up but never had any aspirations but just just being on stage in front of like people that I know and making them laugh, it was just like this. I can I can do this. Like this feels natural. And then I remember after the show, walking out, getting in my car, and just being like, "Oh, I'm not I'm not coming back to you again." It was like the end of like the, it was like May. It was like May the end of the semester, and the show was like toward the end of the year, like right before finals and stuff. And, I, and the campus was pretty empty. I was just like, "Yeah, I'm I'm probably not gonna be back here." Wow, and that was like the first time I did comedy, and felt like I could, but I did it, and it felt good. But then I didn't do it for a long time after that. Yeah, shit. So you go home, and you know, you you tell your your parents this. What the fuck are they thinking? No, no, no. I don't. You don't. I don't. So what happens is this. This is even worse. Oh no. So, so I realize I'm on academic probation. Um, I talked to my advisor. She says, "Look, you got a second chance. If you can go to summer school." And just just get a 3.0. I think mm-hmm. it was like three or four classes. It was like just, I think it was three classes. If I get to be in all those classes, I stay in school. I take two classes. I get a B in those classes. Mm-hmm. And the, the second the second term, I take a um or the, on the summer, second term of the summer, I take one class. Now this is a four week class, and one of the weeks I choose to go to Vegas. Oh fuck! So I took a week off a four week class. To go to Vegas, I'm thinking like oh, I still should be good. <laughs> like everything's more important because it's only four weeks. Uh-huh. So I miss a, miss a week of class, like in class participation. I come back and I end up getting a C in the class. And I tell the teacher, I say, "Hey, look, I can't get a B. Can I just make the work up?" It's like they're gonna kick me out of school. She was just like, "They're not gonna kick you out of school, okay? Trust me." I don't know why I, I trusted that. <laughs> I knew what I had. To, <laughs> I knew I should have went to Vegas. I lied, told her I went to Africa for whatever reason. What the fuck? Thought, That's a big difference. <laughs> Right. I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to Africa. I'm going to change the world. <laughs> right. If I say I'm going to Vegas, she's going to be like, okay, well, you definitely going to fail. You know, you definitely <laughs> going to get the grade you expect to get. But I took that chance, went to Vegas, had a good time. And um, I came back and I had a C. And um, it was like, that was it. Like, she wouldn't change the grade. She, and it was like, fuck, I got to go. So I never told, I, my, it wasn't until I literally, grad, to the, day, the day I graduated, they didn't know I got kicked out of school because what I did was I stayed <laughs> down there. I applied to a community college. I took I took uh, the enough classes, and and then I petitioned to get back into school because my advisor she wasn't my advisor, but she was like my advisor. She was like, only thing you can do is take some classes, show that you you know you you changed. Mm-hmm. You know, so I went to Parkland College. Parkland, yeah. 
got got a, I think I got I got like a 3.0. I had like 3.5 GPA, and then I petitioned to get back in school, and I got back in at um that uh that following spring semester. So I missed it. I basically was kicked out for a semester of school. Holy shit! I mean, that's I don't know how the hell you pulled that off. I mean, because I honestly, it's wrong. I would have done the same. I would have tried to finagle it the whole the the same way. I'd try everything possible to make sure the parents didn't know because that was like they they're always been the big sticklers on you will do this you'll not fuck up you I'm like oh, I would have done the same thing, um, God well at least it worked out thankfully, um, so you know then you start to get your feet wet and you you get more and more reps w- within you know the the comedy circle, um, at what point was it for you where you're like okay I think um, career wise for, you know, financial stability and, you know, where my heart is and what I really want to do, I am committing to this full time and nothing's fucking stopping me. Uh, that was, that was about, that was 2009. So I graduated school 2008 Mm -hmm. year behind. Um, and part of my graduation requirements is to get a, get an internship in the field that I want to work in. Right. I'm like, at the the time I had been hosting shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. And by my senior year, my the last semester of my senior year, I I, I filmed a, a hour. Well, it was like fifty two minutes to stand up. It, I call it, it was a special at the time. It's um, so long. And special. I and I filmed it. Yeah, I, I filmed it and uh, I filmed it at the student union. I put it on. I took, did a photo shoot. I had flyers everywhere. People oh, came damn. out. And at the time, at the time, I was like, man, this this is what I want to do. And people was like, man, you really did it. Like you really did it. And you know, it was funny. It was a funny enough live. If, I, if you watch it now, you'd be like, what the fuck? What are you talking? Is about? that out there for anyone to see? No, uh, man, it's, it's, probably, <laughs> it's, it's buried somewhere on the, on, the, on the web. I don't even think I have a copy of it. Oh but man, it's buried online. Um, but I did that. I graduate. I tell my father, I say, I want to be a comedian. Oh shit. And he, and like his look, was, look on his face was like, oh, man, you the just. Fuck? You've been in college for five years. Like you, you gonna you gonna you gonna waste that? You gonna you know on a, on a hobby something that you just interested in? And that kind of I was shook by that. So I did my internship. Uh, the Boys and Girls Club. They hired me. They hired me at the Boys and Girls Club, oh, and, nice. I, and I'm working. But I'm working. I'm literally making like twenty thousand dollars, like a year. Oh, man, I'm working sixty hours a week. I'm working with kids. I'm doing. I, I mean, it's it's it's, it's very grueling. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, if you have a heart, like don't get me wrong, I have a heart for like working with children. That's right. like that's a passion of mine. But like the 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 work behind the scenes, all the grants and and nonprofit stuff that you got to do to get funded and stuff, it's fucking exhausting. Make- now I'm telling you, and um, I was doing it, and then 2009 came, and I was like, I'm leaving. Mm. And I got scared. I was like, I don't have a safety net. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, then I, I worked another year. 2010 came. I was like, I gotta go. I was like, I can't keep telling kids to follow their dreams and I'm not following mine. Oh, yeah. So I, I I quit. I put my two weeks in and I came back to Chicago, moved to my father's basement. And, and I was just like, I'm just going to be a stand. I'm not going to get a job and I'm going to be a, I'm gonna be a stand-up comedian. Now, did you ever think you're sitting there in, in your father's basement that <laughs> in 2016, you, you'd be uh, sitting at a round table with Kevin Hart in uh, Heart of the City. I mean, do you talk about the the years at U of I, the school issues, the boys and girls quitting that, committing your soul and your heart to what you really want to do, to then be sitting at a round table with fucking Kevin Hart in 2016. At that time, what's going through your head? And I mean, was that like the... Was that almost like that would-be experience of making the U of I basketball team as a walk-on? Absolutely. Like, I mean, like, growing up, basketball was like... It's certain things I think everybody has a gift. Mm -hmm. Everybody has, like, a natural talent at things. I was fortunate enough to find mine. I felt like physically... I had, like, the physical attributes and the mind to play basketball. I'm I'm 5'10", but, you know... But at the time, it was just like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm good at this. And then doing comedy, it was just like, oh no, this is this is what I, I'm meant to do, mm-hmm. and, and to commit myself for that. And then six years later, be sitting at a table with Kevin Hart, it's like, I, I made the right decision. Because if if I look back, I say, man, if I made that basketball team and I, and I stayed on the team, I probably I probably would have went to the NBA. I probably would have been, you know, playing overseas or chasing, you know, some type of you know basketball career that just wasn't in the, in, the, in the cards for me. But I feel like accepting that that's not what I was supposed to do and, and find a comedy in the midst of, you know, the tragedy that was happening in my life at the time. I was like, you know what? 
I'm glad I did. I put the work in and I and I, I'm sitting at the table with Kevin Hart. So I never even I never looked at it like that, you know, because I never put it in that perspective that that time in between that six years of like grinding and, and open mics and trying to get into the comedy clubs and, and doing shows in people's basements and backyard, mm-hmm. you know, going through second seat. Like I, I I never really looked at it all cumulatively. I just kind of looked at it like, okay, this is the the next step. And, and also, and really that, that Kevin Hart, that, that show, Heart of the City, mm-hmm. after doing that show, it was just like, I'm going to be on TV. Like, I find like my goal was like, because I remember being in college, my, like the last couple of years of college and just being like, man, how do you, how do you get to TV? Right. Because I saw, I did a, I did a, um, a comedy competition my senior year and Hannibal Burris was like the headliner. Oh, shit. The, yeah, at Zanies. So we do the comedy competition and then the host brings up, all right, we got some more comedy. Come to the stage, put your hands for Hannibal Burris. At the time, I never heard of the guy. I watched, you know, he's like, you know, his comedy style is, is so unique to him. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. whatever. And I remember the host saying, you're looking at the next Richard Pryor, right? And I'm just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> a year, a year, a year later, Hannibal is late night sets. He, he writing for 30 Rock, writing for S. Like, I mean, this dude, and I'm like, how do you go from comedy club how do you go from an open mic to work in a comedy club to own television and and then in 2016 i'm sitting there and it's just like oh i'm about to be on television and i also learned a, a very important I, I learned i learned a lesson in television um because i filmed that i was super excited you know it got to showcase chicago i love everything i'm all about chicago right. chicago people, talent so i got to showcase chicago i felt like we had the best episode of the series that that first season and then um I see my set and my set of, of the four of the four of us. I, I was on there with uh, Josh Johnson, Jeff Nish, Erica Clark, and I'm watching the show. And my set, my eight minute set, is condensed to a minute and maybe thirty seconds. Oh man! And I mean, like they really like they like cut, cut, cut. So I'm super excited to see myself, uh-huh. and then it, and then they show it. And I'm like, like this it? Yeah, dude, that sucks. So it's just like I, I learned a lesson in that, you know. You, you just take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you, you know, you go and you, you put your best foot forward, but at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to you know, make it out of the editing room. I'm super, super appreciative and, and, and thankful for the opportunity to be showcased on that. Um, but it's just, you know, you have, you know, when you, you put your all into something and it's just like, I'm ready to show the world. Right. But it's also at the discretion of the people that produce the show. Mm-hmm. So for some people on the show, man, they, they, they looked amazing and, and so much more, so much more came from it. But for myself, I kind of felt like it was like I was I was there, but I wasn't there. You know, I felt I felt like a, like I was in the background um, on that episode. Yeah. So that's crazy. I kind of I kind of just took that I took that mentality of you know what, just still go up. You know, always still do your best, but don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, just opportunities will come. It's not going they're not going to pan out how you have them in your head. Just just be fortunate that you get those opportunities. Right, for sure. And I mean, you've you've done you've had a lot of opportunities, not just obviously. In- Comedies almost on the brink of sports over at U of I, but TV, uh, Chicago PD, and Shameless. I mean, how'd you, you, you smaller roles, obviously, certainly, but I mean, you've you've kind of dampered in, in quite a bit. How did that that opportunity come into the picture for you um, to be actually on set um, and and in these television processes uh, like that? Um, just like uh, just having an agent, having you know, it, and it, it's it's funny. You do comedy, they say, "Hey, we like you. We like." And, and it's, this is this is for me. What happened to me in Chicago? I'm doing comedy. They come to a, a showcase in Second City. Uh, it was the NBC Breakout Festival. They say, "Hey, man, you funny? Oh, okay. you, we don't really, we don't really rep comedians. We can't. We don't book comedy shows. You know, we book TV shows. So you know, you'll Ooh. be going out on. <laughs> so it's just like I don't. You know, I've never went out on audition in my life. But this is something that I want. I do right. want. I want to be on TV. I want to. You know, be in you know act dramatically mm. and, um so i'm going out on auditions and i'm for at least that first year i am just terrible i'm oh, terrible dude, that sucks. at auditioning and then once once i get i get good enough you know at auditioning and then you don't you don't I, what i do what you don't realize is that when you see when you watch a tv show 50 to 100 people audition for that one that one co-star role to be just that per you know it, it was it was a round of auditions mm-hmm. uh, call back and it's just like every everybody that that looked like me that fit the description of of this this 
um, that fits the, the bill of the, the character, hundreds of people come out and then it, and it gets dwindled down to you. So for those two two shows that I got, you know, I done missed, I done, I done not been on the show, you know, a hundred other times. Um, so I had some really good auditions and then, you know, using my second city learning, or my second city teachers, I was able to improvise in mm. those in those uh, auditions. And that that kind of gave me, that, that kind of put me above other people. And that's how I ended up getting those roles. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Now, uh, the, the the one thing that I heard about you from actually, uh, you know, on TV myself was the NBC's uh, Bring the Funny. Um, what was that like being able to, you know, get up and do what you do best uh, in front of uh, Keenan, Jeff, and, and Chrissy? That that had to be an unreal experience. Man, it was the it was the best feeling in the world and the worst feeling in the world. Worst why? Because it's, it's competition. Right. Comedy comedy so subjective, and and you literally pitting two unique different styles of comedy against one another, and and you got to make a decision, and then and then to be sent home. To, to to not feel like I to not feel like I should have been sent home and then be sent home and then have to look online and people be like, yeah, that other guy was way better than Oh, him. dude, that's the that's the worst. <laughs> like, shut it's up. Just, I didn't ask for your opinion. Yeah, but but that's the that's that's what comes with being in the competition because I, I I went into that show like, you know, it's a competition. My expectations are high. But then the first round I go up and I have a great set and Jeff Foxworthy stands up and points and says, You sir are a comedian. You are you know, and like that excitement of Oh, I, I can go far on this show. It's only four rounds. I can go far, mm. and then the second round comes, and it's just like the the harsh reality of you know what the show is because you get we get lost in it. We don't sit all day, and, and we sitting around, and you don't they don't really let you see other people's sets as the show is happening. You don't know really who home. Yeah, you don't know who goes home until until like so you're just like go. sitting there in a room, silent, nobody around. No, no, no. So when you backstage, you were other other people that's on the show. Right. It was a few people from Chicago that I knew, but 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 they don't let you watch the results. Right. Okay. They don't let you see. So like the show might start, but there's no sound. You can't hear what nobody's saying. You can't mm. you can't hear what's being done. And then at some point they turn the TV off when they start doing the judging. And then if if if, if it's, the episode is before you or after you or however they they order it, you don't know who got sent home until the end of the night when you're done. You just like. Oh, they they not here no more. Because as, as soon as you lose on that show, when they be like, what 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 the what you don't see at home is one person goes this way mm-hmm. and that's back to oh you won, stay here, we're gonna do some some B-roll stuff. And the person that loses, you go the opposite way. And that is the nobody gonna ever see you again on set. Right. So <laughs> that's that's what you didn't want. But to to take that lonely walk off stage left is just like it's over. You know, yeah. it's over go home and, 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 and accept that I wasn't funnier than some, some other guy. Right. You know, it was, it was a great experience. It was a great experience. Uh, I got a lot of, you know, new fans from it. Uh, I wish I would have stayed long on the show. Um, but I just hate, I hate losing, you yeah. know, and have, having to accept like literally for 24 hours, I was just like, I was in disbelief. It was just disbelief. Like I lost, like I, I lost, I lost, I, I lost, you know what I'm saying? Just sitting at home and then being like, it is what it is, and then the show comes out, and four or five months later, and you got to pretend like, oh, man, man let's see what happens tonight. Oh, dude, you that's know, the I'm, worst, because you're sitting there, and you're like, I don't even want to watch this, but you have everyone else so excited. They're all like, nah, I know how this is going to end. But, but also, again, with television, you don't know what you don't it is. Know. Right, so I, I, my, what in that second round, what they showed on TV, mm-hmm. they edited out like an entire part part of my joke to condense it for TV. Cause I think we had three minutes and I did exactly three minutes and they, they cut that down. And then it was just like, oh, okay. Well, I knew I knew I lost anyway, but you know, I just didn't want to look like an asshole on TV. That was the main <laughs> thing. As long as they don't look like, like as long as they don't show it and it's like the crowd just like, like yeah. just like, oh man, he bombed. It's right. like, I just don't want to look like I bombed. Yeah. I'd rather it be like, it was a tough competition. You know, the, the funny thing is when you talked about the, you know, the group of people go out this way, the other people go out this way, one's going to do B-roll, one's going to pack the bags and get the hell out, is, uh, I don't know if you saw, but Jeff Garland's comedy special uh, that he did on Netflix, uh, I think it was last year, he talked about something similar to that, and it was the midnight train out of Omaha, it was, he had such a bad set that literally after he got off stage, they had everything packed up, and they said, yeah, you're not opening the rest of this week. 
we packed your shit up and you're leaving. And he goes, I, it goes that as a comedian, you deal with that. And if you can't take that and move on, you're not meant to do it. When you look back at all the, all the gigs and opportunities you've had, what was um, the worst gig you've ever had? Worst gig, man. Oh, man, hopefully you don't have to think about this one. Hopefully there's no, not no, many. No. I've had some I think one of my my worst performances I can't say like what was the worst gig I had like I've I've had like I've had bad gigs but I knew going into it it was going to be a bad gig like when I say performing like like those those early years where it's just like I'm doing whatever I can just to get on stage yeah like I said I'm doing birthday parties in backyards they don't have a microphone (laughs) I'm doing I'm doing family reunions. I'm in people's like I'm in somebody's house, you know, oh, in that basement. And and those those I think that's those experiences prepared me for the big crowds. Humbling. Because if I if I could rock a, a family, if I can rock in front of a family, mm-hmm. it's just like, man, like to to be able to walk on a big stage, it's like it's nothing. It's nothing because it's just like, oh y'all, y'all came here for a comedy show. Right. When nobody eating food or or dancing and, and somebody stopped the music, it was like, hey, hey, all right, we got a comedian. And people are like, man, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> right. So I've been in those situations and you have to learn how to fight and, and how to be funny real fast. But I say like the worst, it wasn't even a gig. I think it was my worst performance. I did a show um in Chicago. Uh, uh Leon Rogers, the WGCI, he was hosting the show. And he had called me like, hey, man, you know, I got the show, you know, I'm putting together the lineup. I'm like, cool. So I, I'm, I'm first up. He goes up. He doing his thing. All right, first comment comes to the stage. And he hands me the mic. And I start talking. And right away, like, like for me, like, people being able to hear me and me being able to hear myself is very important. Mm. He hands me the mic. Hey, how y'all doing? It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a half a second, one second, like second delay on the mic. Hey, how y'all doing? Hey, how y'all doing? So I, I talk and then I hear it oh. after I say it, not at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I start talking. So I start talking and then it's like I'm talking over myself because I can hear myself. And I'm just, I just can't, I can't, my mind can't adjust to this. Right. And I just, every time I start talking, I stop talking because I can hear myself afterwards. And I'm, I'm trying not to talk over myself, but to the people in the crowd, they're just like, what's going on? They don't, they don't really know what's happening. Right. So, I mean, I'm just up there bombing. I'm bombing for like oh, five minutes. No. I think I should. I think I was supposed to do like ten minutes, maybe fifteen, for like five minutes. I'm just bombing, and I just, I just look over at him. And he's just like, he like, nah, get on. off, come on. <laughs> I've never, I've never felt bad for taking money after a show in my life. Did I, did I, did I've never felt this bad because he like, he was like paying me like I, I gotta pay you for this. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you, you. I didn't say I was. Ain't no guarantees. It's, Anything can happen any night, so I, I need this. This is two hundred dollars. Wow, dude, that's fucking crazy. Well, hey, Calvin, I uh, I thoroughly appreciate the you taking the time out of your schedule to talk to me, man. I appreciate it. No, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That was my conversation with Calvin Evans, Chicago native comedian. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to visit our website as well, www.thechristianhansonshow.com. There you'll find information on all of our guests and uh, all the episodes. You'll have everything right there. Also, if you like what you hear, send me an email. Just booking at thechristianhansonshow.com. If you'd like to be on the show or if you know someone that you think I'd like to have on the show, email me as well. Again, that email is booking at thechristianhansonshow.com. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. I will see you next time. Stay safe, stay well, and God bless. (laughs) 